This morning, the title of my sermon this morning is Don't Go to Church, Be the Church. And um, I was reading uh, a story about D.L. Moody, great evangelist D.L. Moody, and he was talking to a, a well-known businessman, Chicago businessman, they were sitting in, in um, this businessman's lounge, and the businessman said this to Moody, he said, I believe I can be just as good a Christian outside the church as I can be inside it. I don't need to go to church to be a Christian. I can be a Christian just as well in my, my, my everyday life without going to church. Moody just sort of nodded. And then he got up. They were sitting in front of a roaring fire. And he took the tongs and there was a pile of coals just burning away, blazing red. And he grabbed one of those coals and he put it on the hearth. He took it away from the other coals and put it on the hearth. And while all the other coals in the fire were burning brightly, this coal initially burned red and then just slowly dulled down. And then because it was out of the fire and away from all the others, it just slowly went cold and black. Moody just sat there in silence the whole time as this coal just darkened, lost its glow, went cold. And the businessman just looked at Moody and went, I see. I see. Uh, Philip Yancey, a great Christian writer, had this to say. He says, Christianity is not a purely intellectual internal faith. It can only be lived in community. There is no Christianity outside of mixing with the people of God. Yeah, of course, of course you can't have, have your faith wherever you are, but, but what, what Christ desires is that we love one another and we don't give up meeting together. That's, that's what Christianity is. John Wesley, sick of the corruption of the church, said to his mentor one time, I've had enough of the church. I'm going to go out onto the moors. I'm going to spend time with God alone. And his mentor said, John, there's no such thing as a solitary religion. Christianity is not a solitary religion. It is lived in community. Um, now, Philip Yancey, who, who has said this, he uh, wrote this book, Church, Why Bother? my personal pilgrimage. And in it, he shares a bit about his journey. He came from a, a deeply uh, legalistic and racist uh, church background. It messed his faith up, he said. And then he journeyed away from the church and, and slowly journeyed back. And he shares something of that journey. In another book also, Soul Survivor, uh, a great book. But he goes on to say this. I, I really love these words, and I've, I've, they've resonated with me over the years. He says, at a deep level, I sense that church contains something I desperately need. Whenever I abandon church for a time, I find that I am the one who suffers. My faith fades, and the crusty shell of lovelessness grows over me again. I grow colder rather than hotter. And he finishes with this. And so my journeys away from church have always circled back inside. And I have, I really total those words. You know, I, I find when, I, when I'm away from church for too long, I become a bit of an egg. I have no other way to put it that's appropriate across the pulpit. <laughs> you know, I, I, I just become a bit of an egg. There's just that lovelessness. There's a hardness that starts to form. Um, now, we've explored this year the importance of belonging uh, as, as a value of Activate Church but also as a, a value of, of biblical, Christ-centered Christian living. 
Sadly, though, many struggle with church. They struggle with what they see. They struggle with what they experience. And so disappointed, disillusioned, or disheartened, they choose to explore other ways of of faith or drift away altogether. Paul talks about those who have made shipwreck of the faith. And so when you look at the reasons for some of these decisions, some reject the church because of the perceived hypocrisy and immorality. Others have experienced deep hurt and betrayal and, you know, valid. Some find it too slick, too performance-oriented. Others are just bored witless. What are you giggling for? (laughs) The question seems to be, if meeting together with other believers as, as a church, is so vitally essential, if it's something that I need, if it's, if it's so vitally essential to our spiritual health and to a Christian faith, how do we hang in there with something that can be imperfect and disappointing? And so in his book, Why Bother?, Philip Yancey shares about how he journeyed back to God And after years of cynicism about the church, he realized that the key wasn't about finding the right church. And and I I settled on that years ago because whichever church I go to, I'm there. And all my raru-raru, all my issues, and all my expectations, and all my disappointments have come with me. And I look through those lenses. So Yancey has learned that it's not about finding the right church. He's found that it's about, rather, his way of seeing needed to change. And uh, this morning, I I want to have a look at some of the different ways that Yancey learned to see, to look. Uh, The way, this way of seeing, says Yancey, helped him to, quote, stop merely tolerating the church and instead learn to love it. So this morning, I want to hearken back to Pastor Steve McCracken's words from earlier this year. Remember Pastor Steve McCracken coming to visit and sharing? And, and the big thing that I got out of his sharing was we, we need to see as Father sees. And so I want to hearken back to that. I want to be able to say, how do we see with the eyes of God our Father? I want to reflect on Acts chapter 2 again, a well-known passage. And I want to look at four ways that Yancey looks at new ways of seeing. And see if we can be challenged or encouraged and our sense of belonging in, and our love for the church of God, and to see through fresh eyes the community that God has designed. So we know where we're going, amen? Good, good. So, so let's have a look. So firstly, the first way of looking, we need to look up. We need to look up. And this is the idea of the church as a worshipping people. If we go to Acts 2, if you want to look through your Bible, we're reading from about Acts 2, verse 42, and we read, all the believers devoted themselves to prayer. So they're focusing on communicating with God. A deep sense of awe came over them. And so this is an awe that falls on the Christian community and the wider non-Christian community as well. That's what's happening. They know that God is in their city. They're looking at this community and the way they love each other and the way their lives have changed and something's happening. And it's provoked a sense of awe among people. Not just the church, but among the people. We read on 
They worshipped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, all the while praising God. This shows that worship took place both in formal settings, so they would meet in the temple with, with the, and work according to the structures there, but they would also meet in one another's homes. And so that would center around a meal. And it was quite common for people to, uh, to, to share their thoughts and discuss, discuss, discuss different things. <laughs> so going with Sean Connery, or discuss different things. It's, uh, it's great. <laughs> thank you, thank you. So, so they would discuss different things. And, and, and you'd have, you'd have, you might have a lecturer. You might have someone sharing a sermon while you're speaking. This is, this is what you did in, in, in that culture. You'd have the Lord's Supper. You would remember the, 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 the life, the death, the resurrection of Christ. So it was done in a formal setting. It was done in a local setting, in a more informal setting. And in all of this, God was the focus. Whether you're in the, the, the formal structure of the temple, whether you were um, sharing with friends and whanau around a feed, God was the focus. So Yancey speaks about this in terms of his experience, and he says how in years past when he attended the gathering or the service of his church, it was seen as a performance. He said, make it polished. I'll critique. Entertain me. And I get that because I've grown up in a consumer society, and that was part of my thinking as I came into the church. Let me just uh, go a bit wider because it's a part of my upbringing. Um, I, 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 I'm quite shocking watching sports. I can be quite critical. I am a phenomenal sportsman sitting in an armchair <laughs> watching these guys, and I know what they should be doing. And I tell them. And I can remember, I don't know about you, but I can remember my father and uncle and all my mates' dads, they're screaming at the TV. It's not like that now, you know? So actually, I'm quite mellow compared to what I grew up with, but it's still probably too intense for my kids. And so we were watching the Big Bash League. If you watch that, it's the, the, the 20 over cricket competition in Australia. And Brendan McCullum, New Zealand cap, former New Zealand captain, great cricketer, he captained a team called the Brisbane Heat. And what they do is they mic up the captains so that the commentators can interview them during the game. And during the game, there's a catch comes to this guy. It's a real sitter, and he just drops it cold. And I'm just going, oh, that's a shocker. That's terrible, you know. Um, and then, you remember, I'm sitting watching this with my son, and they interview Brendan McCullum. So he's on the field, and they're chatting away to him, and they say, how do you feel when one of your teammates drops a catch like that? His answer was amazing. And if you followed the change of culture in New Zealand cricket, you, you get an idea of what's happened. He says, oh, look, I don't care as long as the confidence and the energy is up in the team. I, I'm not worried. He said, no one drops the ball on purpose. So this guy drops the ball, no judgment, let's go brother, and they just move on. And, and we sort of picked up that attitude, my son and I, because he sort of got that attitude where I'll be going, oh, pass it, there's an overlap, oh, mug. And he'll go, dad, he didn't do it on purpose. And, and what's great is, in terms of the biblical idea of mutual submission, I need to become more like my son. I said, don't become like me. I'll become like you. You become like me as someone who sees his, his, his issues <laughs> and can deal with them, hopefully. But, but I love this idea that, 
that, that my, my sons are growing up with this idea of, man, no one drops the ball on purpose. And so I've just got to learn to, to chill a bit and actually see something of the critic as I'm sitting there in my armchair eating my chips. It's just, it's pathetic. Bring it back to the church. You bring that sort of attitude into church. And Soren Kierkegaard talks about how uh, church for many people is like a theater. And what happens is the congregation, we're sitting here with the audience. And the musicians and the speakers, they're the actors. And we watch them and we go, if you do well, you will earn our applause and our, and our pleasure. Because that's what happens when you bring a, a, a theater mentality, a consumer mentality into church. Kierkegaard challenges that and he says, actually, what we should be doing is actually the audience is an audience of one. It's God. God is the audience and we are on the stage as the actors giving our worship to him. And the ministers, rather than being the focus on the stage, they're actually the ones on the side of the stage going, remember how good he is? Remember, to, remember how good he is and all that he's done for you? You know, the guy's on the stage just prompting. And he says, that's, that's actually what church should be. Also, as Pentecostals, God is working among us. It's amazing. But it's a real shift in our thinking. And I've, 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 I've worked with that over the years because I can remember times... Uh, <clears throat> way back, way back, years ago, where I would come in and I'd be holding up those internal scorecards as a consumer. Someone sitting at a distance, judging. Not with my eyes on God, but judging what's going on. Um, I can remember going to the States uh, when I finished varsity, and my, exper my experience... Um, was I found them, where, where I was in Pennsylvania, they were so much more positive than the culture I'd grown up with here. They were so positive. You know, I was around people all the time who were going, man, you'd be great at that, Simon. Man, you'd be awesome. I wasn't used to that. I was used to guys going, oh, who do you think you are? I think you're, you know, the, the, the Kiwis, you know. And, and so I was around this, I was in this positive, affirming environment and I came back here, and I remember standing up the back of, this was in the early 90s, standing up at the back of church with some friends, and uh, someone was worship leading, and these guys were going, oh, it'd be good if they could sing in key. And I remember being nauseated, because I'd got out of the culture, and I'd come back into it. And I'd experienced something different, and I thought, man, this needs to change. See, see what happens is, is, is if I change out of that theater mentality, and I look up, then it's about God. So I come in, and now I submit myself to the word of God. So whoever's speaking, it's about God. You know? When we're, so, 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 so coming to church is about looking up to God. It's not about looking at people and judging their performance. It's about looking up to God. That's something I can take control of. That makes sense? Yancey has this to say. He says, church exists primarily not to provide entertainment or to encourage vulnerability or to build self-esteem or to facilitate friendships, but to worship God. If it fails in that, it fails. So, turning our gaze beyond the musician, beyond the speaker, beyond whoever's up here, to the God we worship. 
We must learn to gouge out the critical eye, the cynical eye. Be brutal with it. Get rid of it. Have nothing to do with it. So that we can see God in all. You know, as Owen and Celia sung, and wasn't it, wasn't it a blessing to hear that? You know, as, as, as that prayer finishes, no huki tirangatiratanga te kaha me te kororia. Thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. And there's something as I lift my eyes, perspective changes. So we've got to look up to God, but then we've also got to look inward. We've also got to look inward. Now, I, I think of this as, as we say, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. <clears throat> this, this is a point that Yancey raises. Now, see, when we're critics, we're, we're looking at everyone else around us. We're, we're judging people's performance. We're, we're looking outward. And often that's a way of avoiding our own stuff. But as we study the apostles' teaching, a core, a, an absolute core to the apostolic tradition as to why certain writings weren't accepted as, 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 as authoritative and why certain teachings weren't considered authoritative was because at the core of the apostles' teaching was this. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. Not good works, none of you can boast. We have been saved by grace. If we start tipping into anything that says, yeah, you're saved by grace, but you've got to do this and you've got to be this, you're moving away from the gospel. And, uh, and, I, and I love this idea of looking inward. Here's, in a world of competition, of harsh judgment, a world that ranks according to unrealistic standards of beauty and power, wealth, or achievement, you know only about 2% of people in the world actually look like the standard of beauty, and most of them have been airbrushed. In a world of ungrace, Yancey found church a place where people would come like desert nomads around an oasis of grace. So Yancey says, oh, I love this, I love this. He says, now when I attend church, I look inward and ask God to purge from me the poisons of rivalry and criticism and to fill me with grace. So as Owen and Celia are singing the Lord's Prayer and we come to that um, and forgive us as we forgive others, and, and there's something going on in my heart as I'm going, yeah, yeah, that's something I need to work on. See, I'm not looking at you. I'm not pointing the finger at you. I'm not going, gee, I hope Ray hears this. <laughs> Boy, gee, I hope Rachel hears that. <laughs> but I'm, I'm looking inward and, and, and meeting with God in the reality of our hearts. See, see, when it's about legalism, then it's about what I do. But, but, but actually, Christianity is about the heart. Think of Jesus' teaching. You've heard it said, do not commit adultery. Well, I haven't. Yeah, but I say to you, if you've looked at a woman and lust in your heart, you see, it's about the heart. You know, you've heard it said, don't commit, commit murder. Well, I haven't. But I say to you, if you call your brother Rakha fool, you're in danger of judgment. Because that's, that's the seed that buds when you think your brother's an idiot. And when you don't deal with that, it grows into murder. Allah, the story of Cain and Abel. See, adultery doesn't just happen. Bud of lust. And you don't deal with it, it grows. Through a whole lot of self-justifying steps. So it's about the heart. 
and it's about looking inward. And so the beauty of us coming together is that we come into an environment of grace where we can be, be open to a God of grace and open our hearts and deal with who we are in reality before God. That's good. You know? As the Lord's Prayer says, Murua o matou hara. Forgive our sins. Murua. Wipe clean. Strip away like stripping the leaves off a branch. To, to take away my sin. So when I come to the gathering, I work hard not to be a theater critic. We need to resist looking around and, 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 and judging. Rather, like Yancey, I look inward, I submit to the Word of God, I reflect on the message, reflect on the Word, try to face up to any challenge that God raises. I seek to be self-aware as the Holy Spirit seeks to transform me. That's, that's the ideal. That's, that's the focus. But not only looking inward, so we look upward to God, we look inward to allow God's grace to work within us so we can become a grace-filled people. But also, we look around the idea of the church as a caring people. We read in Acts 2, verse 42, all the believers devoted themselves to fellowship and to sharing in meals, to fellowship, to koinonia. We've looked at that term over the last few weeks. Uh, and the essential element of, of fellowship, of koinonia, is participation, taking part together. As uh, the message puts it, they committed themselves to the life together doing life together. We read on um, in verses 44 to 46. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshipped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. This generosity is, is amazing. The believers' generosity... Note this, it's voluntary. It's not mandated by the apostles. No one's saying, you've got to do this and sell this and give the money here. No one's doing that. Their lives are so impacted by what Christ has done, they've changed in their relationship to their stuff. This is not mandated. This is voluntary. The early church's commitment to Jesus and the work of the Holy Spirit in their lives brought about a brand new attitude to possessions and property. They now viewed their property as a resource for Christ and for the care of his people. What we have here is a radical new cultural practice of valuing people more than possessions. That's what the gospel brought. Think of it, different ethnicities, different ages, different levels of education and income, different political views. But the Christian basis for community, the reconciling love of God and Christ, transcends all differences of nationality, of gender, of age, pop culture, transcends it all. Our commonality comes first. The things that unite us come first. The things that divide come later. And as the Spirit works, a family of God is formed. One not marked by conformity, but by a rich diversity, living in unity, making space for others to be who they are rather than requiring them to conform to the standard that I require, which is actually works. Love, I make space for who you are and love you. Learning to make space for our brothers and sisters. 
And again, I need God's grace to work inwardly with me, to be like that. How easily we forget, Yancey says, that the Christian church was the first institution in the history of humanity on this planet that brought together on an equal footing Jew and Gentile, male and female, slave and free. The earliest Christians broke down barriers. So easy to forget that. Unlike most religions, Christianity welcomed both men and women alike. Greco-Roman culture tended to exclude slaves from social groups, whereas Christians welcomed them as brothers and sisters. The Jewish temple separated worshippers and put them in different places depending on their sex and depending on their ethnicity. Christians met around a table, the fellowship of love, and broke bread together in the Lord's Supper. Breaking down barriers. Jesus did it all the time. <laughs> Just wandered in and smashed all these cultural sacred cows. Doesn't he know he shouldn't be talking to a Samaritan woman? You tell him. I'm telling him. He bummed us out last time we said something. <laughs> Jesus walks to the beat of his own drum. He walks to a totally different beat. And then, you know, when it... The church allowed women and the poor to be in positions of leadership, something that the Roman aristocratic male class would never have allowed. That's all stuff that came in as the kingdom broke in to this world. The church, this mystery which for ages past was kept hidden in God, this diverse God-worshipping community has the opportunity to bless the world with a view of God's kingdom and heart here on earth. I remember years ago, years, years ago when I was growing up, the, church, the churches we went to used to have family concerts. And they weren't polished. You know, I can remember kids with their boom boxes getting up and doing these dances and they'd forget half their steps. <laughs> you know, all that today. Poor yeah, still one of the greatest songs ever to come out. Um... People would go up and sing songs and they'd get up and suddenly find that their guitar wasn't tuned so they spend a minute and a half on stage tuning their guitar. Someone's singing flat. Fella gets up and shares a poem that he's written. No one turns up to listen to people read poems but we used to do it in these family concerts. I loved it. I loved it. But the culture shifted. And in an age of polish and performance and excellence... There seems little place for such unsophisticated performances. Now, step sideways culturally. School plays, school dramas. By schools, I mean primary schools, dramas. They're not great, eh? Hey. <laughs> hey. Serious, eh? I mean... If you're turning up and expecting quality acting, you're going to be disappointed, true? And yet I see mums and dads sitting there glowing. Their kid walks out and goes, oh, I am a tree. And, and uh, if you cut me down for paper, it's bad for the uh, environment. And they're like... This is my baby. This is she. And all over the moon. 
Because it's whānau. It's not about performance. And, uh, and, and I think, you know, if we, we, we and, and, and hear me, I'm not saying let's go back to family concerts. I'm certainly not saying, I'm certainly not saying excellence is wrong in the right context. I'm not saying that. What, what, I, what, what I'm wanting to, that's not my point. What I'm wondering is when we're distant from others, you see, you see when I'm up the back holding up an internal scorecard, it's because I'm not connected. There's no emotional investment. You see, when we watch our child walk out onto stage, or I watch my mate Glenn Matthews turn up to play Churchill, I'm emotionally invested. I want him to do well. The fact that his performance was outstanding, that's that's just great. But but you know, think about it. Suddenly you've got your mother, your child, your spouse is about to get on stage. You know how nervous they are. You're wanting them to do well. There's emotional investment there. That isn't there when you pay to go and watch Hayley Westenra or Ed Sheeran. Because it's a different context, true? But you can't bring that, that theatre mentality into a far no context. We don't do that, do we? I don't go to my kids afterwards, gee, you're a bit wooden on stage. <laughs> Come on, we went over these lines. <laughs> you know, we don't do that because it's a different... Co- and, and what I'm wondering is that looking through far no eyes, that's my point the closeness of family, the different perspective that it affords us. See, I loved those concerts because I knew each of the people who were getting up. And, and I was into them. So it was quite different. If I didn't know them, then I might be sitting back going, far out. Does it make sense? So we look up and worshipping God, we, we look inward and ask God to work on our hearts as we're honest before Him, knowing that He knows us intimately and loves us. There's no secrets before Him. And we look around and realize that we're part of God's family in this place. The, the, the diverse range of beautiful people made in His image. And finally, we look outward. We look outward. Uh, Verse 47 of Acts 2 says, All the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And the Lord added daily, added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Uh, F.F. Bruce, the New Testament scholar, says, Within the Christian community, there was a spirit of rejoicing and generosity as they shared. Outside, they enjoyed great popular goodwill. See, enjoying the goodwill of all the people, that's the people around outside the church. That's the impact on the community. And the Lord added daily to their numbers. So when we look up, we worship God. When we look inward, we bring ourselves before God in genuineness, worshiping Him in spirit and in truth. We look around to care for one another as God's family. But we also exist to look outward as we live as a community that loves one another. We act as salt and light in a dark and corrupt world. Witnessing to Christ through our words and our actions, meeting social needs as an act of love. Evangelist Louis Palau describes the nature of the church as manure. That's right, you heard me correctly, manure. You pile it together and it stinks up the neighborhood. But you spread it out and it enriches the world. You spread it out. 
So we've got to look outward, evangelism, mission, social justice, caring for those in need. Yancey notes that one of the reasons a congregation of such diversity works is because they unite in reaching outwards to their community. He says, actively serving others causes you to think less about serving yourself. And so here, here at Activate Church, uh, you know, when we, we think of global missions, some amazing people that we, our people, who are doing some phenomenal things around the world. You know, Kay Fickling, with Operation Mobilization, working in, in Belgium, uh, in Europe, there, and also in Europe, in the Ukraine, uh, Brent Weaver uh, has been working for years. He was one of my teachers at Hamilton Boys High School back in the day. And now he's about to get married, hey, which, is, which is wonderful news. Um, through Southeast Asia, people like Rob and Rhea Gimrick hear their story sometime. Phenomenal. Peter and Wow working in Thailand, just doing great stuff. Anna and Nam, what an impressive couple they are. Head up Reconciled World. A reconciled world, and they work with churches in India, Africa, and Southeast Asia. Then the incomparable Grant and Vicky McAllister, working in Hong Kong and China. All together, with many others too, strengthening churches, sharing the gospel among people who have never heard the gospel before, never heard about Christ, uh, helping communities out of poverty, reaching people on university campuses and unreached mountain villages in urban settings. And we partner with them as a faith community as we look outward. Locally, Activate Church has the Activate Community Trust, which includes groups like the Community Link Trust with the vision of championing strong communities. It's, a, it's an outward focus wanting to strengthen families around us. Teen Link, providing one-on-one -on -one mentoring for youth and some amazing stories of of, of what's been going on there. Parent Link with coffee groups and mops and toolbox and building awesome whānau and other supports for parents. Property Link and others. And then Activate, uh, Activate Training Centres, ATC, which started in the 80s with a van and a couple of shovels to now being such a multi-campus education provider. Just amazing changing lives through learning and helping people to become all that they can be through uh, Vision College, through Train Me, through ATC Professional, through Instant, just doing some amazing stuff. They offer employment training for adults and youth. There's alternative education programs. Uh, Instant provide uh, resources for something like 86% of the, the high schools in New Zealand. Amazing. And they provide courses in a wide range of areas, from Christian leadership and ministry to fabrication and welding, from early childhood education to degrees in music and, and counseling, from training for work to software development and design, just a wide range of educational opportunities. And then there's you and me. You know, there are these corporate entities that are also made up of individuals. And there's you and I reaching our friends, having our friends, having our children's friends around in our homes, um, being a fragrance, the fragrance of Christ in our workplaces. And I know that thing of, oh, who, me? Yeah, you, because the Spirit of Christ is in you. And if the Spirit of the Lord is in you, then surely there's got to be something that's different. Not about you, 
It's about the God who works through us, who does amazing things with you, who he loves. You know, we've got kids doing amazing things in schools, you know, running prayer groups, witnessing in schools, in our clubs, in our social groups. There's so many ways in which you and I can look outward, whether it's social needs, whether it's witnessing, just loving people, not having them as projects, not as a notch on the belt, just loving them for who they are because God loves them. You know, my mate Joe Graham challenged me. Well, actually he didn't. He was just sharing about his desire to share and witness. It was something he did very naturally. And, and it challenged me. Dan King and I were there. We were all sitting in Franklin McDonald's one day. And Joe's just sharing. And I just felt challenged. I need to do this. I need to step out more. And I remember sitting on a plane and just sweating, thinking, how am I going to engage this person next to me? It's far more natural now. But at that time, just struggling and, and was able to, he starts reading Richard Dawkins' The God Delusion. So I was able to chat to him about it. And then coming back, sitting next to a, a lady who was a counselor, and I shared about the work that I did with, with Christian counseling, and she turned to me and went, so how is counseling Christian? What's Christian counseling? She opened the door for me. You know, you can tell when people go, you're not interested, but... Oh, you've got to respect that. But when people open the door, you can just engage in natural conversation. And I was able to share with her. And we're able to just, just talk naturally. Because my mate Joe Graham helped to prepare God's people for works of service. That's, that's why I need the likes of Joe and Jeremy to help, help, uh, to, to help encourage me to do that outward-looking thing. Hearing, hearing, hearing Sally share last week around missions just encouraging us in that looking outward. You know, I think of our, all of our, our people who are involved in education who are working with children, and those children aren't just being taught the curriculum, but they're learning of their own value and worth because there's a God-believer in their midst. There's a Christian in their midst, and that's got to make a difference because you have a stink teacher for a year, man, that can make things hard. Do you have someone who cares about you? I can still remember Mrs. Selkirk when I was eight and I was freaked out at my grandmother's uh, passing. And I remember her sitting down with me in, in the classroom, pulled out a power shell, lit up a cigarette. So it was a bit freaky, was it, boy? <laughs> it was the early 80s. <laughs> sitting in the classroom. Yeah, freaky, was it? I'll tell you what, though, I felt esteemed. Here was this adult who cared about what I was going through. Wasn't hitting me like a lot of teachers did back then. Wasn't bashing me around, the, but, but actually esteeming me, caring about me. Beautiful. I still remember it. Mrs. Selkirk. Isn't that wonderful? You and I, we, we talk about ATC, we talk about global missions. You and I can make a difference. You and I can make a difference. God will change people's hearts. You and I, we just love people. They insult us, we turn the other cheek. There's some hard teaching, eh, that gospel teaching? You know? But we just love people. And the scriptures say that God added to their numbers daily. God added. God added. It's God who convicts people's hearts. 
So here's my challenge, I suppose, for us. Where does your looking need to change? Where does my looking need to change? As we, as we come to meet among the gathering of God's people. Maybe it's in terms of looking up to see God in the midst of his people, working among a motley group of beautiful, sometimes infuriating, imperfect, wonderful people. As the psalmist says, I will lift up mine eyes. From whence cometh my help? My help comes from the Lord, which made heaven and earth. I lift my eyes above the raru and the issues and the things that would drag me down and I see God. I don't look to the hills, I see God who made the hills. And I think, okay, and a perspective changes. I can't be full of myself when I'm looking at Him. I can't be judging people when I'm looking at Him. I can't be unforgiving when I'm looking at Him. Because it all gets brought into the light. Maybe there's a looking up that needs to change. Perhaps it's about looking inward. Stop worrying about others and simply meeting with God in the quiet place to be honest before God and let His Spirit work deep within you. To know that you are accepted and loved. Amen? You are accepted and loved. It is by grace that you have been saved through your faith, not your works, not by how good you are or how much you do, but because He is gracious. Right now, where you are, you are loved and you are accepted. And so maybe there's some looking inward that needs to take place so that God, you can journey with God as He transforms you more and more into the likeness of His Son. Perhaps there's a looking around and a learning to appreciate the incredible diversity of people that God is forming into His family and to see that you have brothers and sisters, to see that you are a brother, a sister, a father, a mother in this whānau of faith. Perhaps you need to look around and reach out and connect. One of the things that one of my brothers, Dan King, we're looking to catch up regularly just so we have someone who knows what's going on in, in, each, other's, in each other's lives. Just, 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 just catching up, praying for one another. Even if we're struggling to do it, it's still an intention. And then perhaps it's about the looking outward. You know, in the evangelism that I grew up with was awkward but I've learned to be more natural. Just, just to be natural and to just converse with people rather than that feeling like I'm trying to sell a product to someone who's not interested, which is what I sort of grew up with. Just being natural. But to take up the call that you are, you are, we are salt and light. We are called to be salt and light and to take our place alongside God and His mission to reach and transform this world. Bit by bit. You know, I know, I know there's not going to be a movie made of my life. You know, but but day by day I can I can I can sit and listen to that brother. I can sit and listen to that person. I can buy that person lunch. I can give that kid a lollipop. Little things, eh? Hey? Mrs. Selkirk listening to an eight-year-old boy. 
The only one of my teachers I remember from primary school, positively. Maybe that's what we need to do.